Luke chapter 11. I will be finishing up on the Lord's Prayer in Luke's Gospel, excuse me. <coughs> Luke chapter 11, I will read verses 1 to 13 and comment just on verses 9 and 10. Let's read God's word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And will he answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. And I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, he will get up and give him anything because, of, because he is his friend. Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if, he has, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Father, like always, we want to always acknowledge our gratitude for the written word. We want to acknowledge how great the scriptures are, Father God, in enlightening us, guiding us, strengthening us, motivating us, teaching us, instructing us admonishing us, rebuking us, Father God, correcting us, edifying us, building us up, Father God, and uh, ever enlightening us to who you are, Father God. We thank you for the privilege of prayer, Father God. But God, teach us all to come to you with expectation of seeking, asking, knocking, expecting good gifts from our Heavenly Father, the best gifts, the gifts are so awesome, so incredible, so from another universe that we don't even have to, we don't even know how to ask for them. You give the Holy Spirit to us, Father God. God, breathe upon this text, breathe upon this sermon, Father God, and let it be edifying, encouraging, and strengthening to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, and something just happened my sermon, okay? There it is, again. Okay, I'm getting better at this. Okay. Uh, we're going to finish up with the Lord's Prayer. We've been going through it uh, petition by petition for the last probably six weeks. And uh, we're always the highlighted point of ask, seek, and knock to not just pray the Lord's Prayer, but to expect the Lord's Prayer to operate in our life, in our life, in our ministry, personally, corporately, uh, that's what God wants us to see here. It's not just about asking for something. It's about being effective 
an effective Christian in my personal life, in my personal walk of holiness, in my personal witness of Jesus Christ in my life, not just in a pulpit. This is only part of life. But wherever I go, I want to be effective for Jesus. I want to be effective for the kingdom of God. I want to have to truly ask for daily bread, define daily bread, and understand daily bread. I want to really understand the power to forgive people that have wounded me and have hurted me. I want to enjoy the, the wounds that Christ took for me also and enjoy my forgiveness that I have in Christ. I want to enjoy Christ. God wants me to enjoy Christ. I want God's name to be hallowed in birth our ministry, and my personal life, and in this world. And it will be one day, perfectly. And I also want to truly know God as Father. I think if we all have a deep, personal, subjective revelation of God as Father, we'd be transformed human beings. I want you to know that. That's a personal conviction of mine. And I think God wants us to seek, to ask, and to knock about this personal revelation, this inner awareness of just how much Father loves us. How awesome it is, and it's not a theoretical concept. There's something just to know and to quote and to pray, but there's something to experience in our personal souls that transform and change the direction of our life in every interpersonal relationship, in every time you praise and worship, every time you open up your Bible, every time you talk to somebody about Jesus, you're always doing it from the context that God is my Father. I have this full assurance, this full confidence that he never leave me nor forsake me. That he, if he's given us all things in Christ, will he now withhold something good for me? No. No. It is something that I believe that happens in our life over the course of our life. As we go through life, we draw closer to understanding God as Father. You know, when it comes to this ask and seek and knock, and I try to do the best I could to it, but I'm going to step out of just trying to, uh, how can I say, more just expository preaching and, and try to put some flesh onto this concept, this reality of, of asking, seeking, knocking. And I'm going to draw from personal experience in my own life, draw from ministerial experience, because it's not easy just to put flesh on this. The New Testament gives us some... Instances of ask and seek and knock them, but not much. It doesn't use these kind of words. You have to see it in the text. You have to go into the Old Testament. The Psalms probably mostly, in David's life, you see a man who sought, who asked, who cried, who needed desperately God. You see it in the life of Christ. At the end, in his passion, you see the, uh, the, uh, the essence of his prayer life as he pleads before God. Asking, seeking, knocking is an exercise in some way, desperation. Uh, but it could feel like a lesson in frustration sometimes. I've got to be honest with you. Let, let's be real here. All right? I'm, I want to put some life on this. Let's be real. Asking, seeking, and knocking and saying, God, when are you going to hear me? God, when are you going to answer me? God, how could you allow this continue in my life? How can I see the injustices of life in this world and in my own personal life and so on and so forth? Where are you? What's going on? I and mean, we all know that. And you hear nothing. Nothing at all. It could be a lesson in frustration. But I believe it's a lesson in perseverance. And a lesson in patience. God perseverance and God patience. We don't bring perseverance and patience to the table. Trust me. We bring sin and complaining. That's all we bring to the table. And God has to work all the other good stuff into us. 
And I believe that ask and seek and knock in this part of God working deeper things into our life. Amen? Amen. I made a comment last week that could easily be misunderstood. And I, I want to uh, explain that a little bit and really lean much of this sermon on that. And the quote was this. The Holy Spirit is given only where the Holy Spirit is needed. And the Holy Spirit, I'm talking to Christians that are already saved now. Okay. The Holy Spirit is given only where the Holy Spirit is needed in a Christian's life. The Holy Spirit is needed only where Christian men and women have come to the end of themselves, experientially, that means painfully, and that they realize that they're weak, and they're, and they're weak in failures, and have come to the end of themselves, and they realize that self-sufficiency is no answer to sinful temptations. Okay, I really want to make that strong. Then God, the good and gracious Father, as we see in Jesus' parable, despite the child's failures, we all know that, grants inner strength to overcome. And at that point, dependence on God is birth. Paul talks about it being led by the Spirit. We see that in Romans uh, chapter 8. We see that in, in Galatians chapter 5. Being led by the Spirit. You know, being led by the Spirit is not you come to church one day, I give you a sort of reference book, you go home and shazam, you're led by the Spirit. It would be nice so easy, but it's not. Being led by the Spirit, being learned how to led by the Spirit, comes from painful agony of asking, seeking, knocking, desperate, frustrated, hurt, painful, confused, doubting. That's how we learn to be led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit has nothing to close my eyes and meditating and, and hearing something from God. It's a painful, frustrating, agonizing lesson in just how weak we are is what God is teaching us. And just how much we need the Lord. So, asking, seeking, knocking, and God giving the Holy Spirit is not going to bed in a simple prayer and writing a, on an index card and putting it under my pillow and waking up and I'm a new man. No. It, 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 it calls for tears. It calls for longevity. It calls for crying. There's pain involved. And we start to take on the, the perception of life that Christ had when he entered into Jerusalem. Jerusalem that should have embraced him. That was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. But he looked behind their, their superficial praise and realized, no, no, no. If you only knew the time of your visitation with tears in his eyes, he understood that Jerusalem kills the prophet and stones those sent to her. It, we learn as we go through life and we learn through pain to feel the Savior's pain and to feel the Savior's frustration about this world we live in. The Holy Spirit comes when we truly, desperately need God. And we know there's no other human agency there is no other way of getting around the weakness of the flesh and the fears of the flesh. Please understand, it is at that moment we can learn to depend solely on God. I'm speaking out of, I believe what the Bible says, I'm speaking out of my own experience. This statement, I believe, is pastoral. I believe it comes from years of personal experience, both in my life and in ministry. And it's supported by the text, Old Testament history, New Testament history, and the church's witness for 2,000 years. I believe we see it in even David's life. 
all the great writers, if you've ever read Augustine's Confessions or Luther's Bondage of the Will, point that there's something desperately wrong in us. And that even though we're God's children, it is a painful operation that we have to develop a seeking, asking, knocking, expecting, desiring, have to be touched by God prayer life. That's what changes us. Some of the Christian writers, there was a time called the Desert Fathers, and they wrote about the dark night of the soul. If you were a Christian, you understand that phrase. The dark night of the soul. There are times where you just feel like you're fighting everything ungodly. Weakness, fear, temptation. Everything is thrown at you. But that's where God does great work. And we're still seeking Asking and knocking. I think about Jacob's wrestling with the angel of the Lord until he was blessed. Until he was truly blessed. It said when the night fell, a wrestling match began. And eventually his name was changed. Let me share from the heart tonight about just how hard the Christian life is, please. How challenging, hard the Christian life can be at times, please. Christian life is demanding, but it's not always hard. So I just want to say that. It's not always hard, but it's a lot hard. It can be harder at times than others. And our loving God is fully aware. I want to encourage everybody here. God is fully aware of where we are in our life, where we are in our life of faith. He's fully aware, fully accepting us. Never loving you less, never loving you more. But always there. Always the gracious Father that Jesus is pointing us to, who won't give us a scorpion and won't give us a bread in my desperate hour when I need food for my soul. He's not going to give me an imposter. He's going to give me of himself, of the Holy Spirit. And he even uses our inner weaknesses, our inner weaknesses to make us effective Christian witnesses. All weaknesses in life, please listen, all weaknesses, whether sin, whether to sin, or to be silent about Christ. If anybody's in any kind of ministry for Christ, we're all called to be ambassadors of Christ. But what happens without realizing the world can sort of clamor up our witness of Christ. Think about when you were first saved. I don't think I ever met a Christian that was truly, genuinely converted that did not, was not excited about the faith. Then what happened? Are we too busy for God? But doesn't life and resistance to the gospel have a way of wearing us down? It does me. I'm going to be honest with you, it does me. So there has to be something else. And we're going to find out about that tonight. A Christian that's ineffective to God, whether through sin or silence about Christ, is all of us can fall into that to some degree. This prayer that we're praying here about asking, seeking, knocking, about kingdom stuff, about daily bread, about overcoming temptation, understand something about forgiveness. You know, this kind of stuff, well, this prayer is for effective living, 
effective ministry. It's not about getting something. Jesus is not teaching, this is how you get the goodies. Just keep it up. Annoy God enough that you get the goodies. Nothing to do with the goodies. As a matter of fact, I can show you from Scripture that if you seek God with all your heart, strength, soul, and your mind, He'll give you the goodies. Solomon asked for wisdom so he would he can pass to these great people of God, Israel. And God said, because of that prayer, I'll give you fame and fortune more than any other king or prince that ever walked the earth. He got the goodies, but he sought God and only God. It's God's good pleasure to give us both the kingdom and to change us into the image of the king. Something we forget about. And he even uses our weaknesses in the process. This is where God's power is perfected. As Paul says, we know that in my weakness, God's power is perfected in us. The kingdom advances and God gets all the glory and there's no room for boasting. It's, it, it's a foolproof thing. Anybody who's been changed by God, if someone says, you know, you're a great person. And I've heard this before. You know, you're such a nice... I said, i got to be honest with you. I know you mean good, but I want you to know, if you knew me 30 years ago, you would not be saying that. Jesus, oh, Jesus, but you had to do something. And I had to put my arm around somebody loving me and said, no, I did nothing. But fail, fail, fail. And then God healed, healed, healed. They don't understand this principle, but I'm not letting them off the hook. I'm not taking any of the glory. Jesus gets it all. When it comes to this truth about asking, seeking, and knocking, like I said, we don't see, clearly see it in the, in the New Testament so clearly. I'll try to bring it out. But it's there, and it's usually in regards to advancing the kingdom of God, whether in our life or in other people's lives. The principle can be used personally, please understand, it can be personally in our lives in many areas, over personal sins that try us over long periods of time. And I know we're a very sanctified congregation, and there's nobody struggling with sin and temptation in here. I, we could pass by that. I know that. Uh, but bear with me for the weak in faith. All right? for, for the one or two that might be weak in faith here. If we can use it over our personal fears of just growing cold sometimes in faith, in love, etc., etc., etc. This passionate plea of ask and seek and knock is characterized by two things. I want you to realize this. It's characterized by, on one side, desperation brokenness, and pain. That's awesome. And on the other side, it's God's mercy and grace beckoning us as Jesus gives it in the parable of this gracious God that desires to give good gifts. If we continue to earnestly and, and reverently seek Him, that He will give us these good gifts. And it's, it's this like a dichotomy going on. Is this desperate cry of emptiness on the inside and a, a desperate need of knowledge and awareness that I need God in my life and at the same time the scriptures hold out to me a merciful and graceful high priest who's been uh, tempted in all ways but without sin his throne of grace is wide open saying come, come, ask, seek the door is always open, knock it'll be answered, it'll be given to you just come with confidence this is a fuller New Testament picture of what Jesus is saying about ask, seek, and knock. Needless to say, there's a lot of mystery in all of this. There is. But let me tell you something about this mystery. It's God 
honoring mystery. It is flesh, flesh crucifying mystery. It challenges our perception about life, about God, about ourselves, about the kingdom, about Jesus. It challenges every area of our life. This asking, seeking, knocking over prolonged periods of time of what we think we need, of what we think we should have, but yet God hasn't given us, despite His good and gracious nature, it challenges us. It challenges our faith. It challenges our very core. It challenges our worship. It challenges why should I even carry on anymore? If the Bible is God is all powerful, then why? 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 It's a necessary part of the Christian life, and there's many lessons to it. I want to give you some lessons of why this is so necessary that the New Testament gives us. See if they make sense to you about asking, seeking, and knocking. First of all, God remains God. And we learn true reverence. Honoring God. I don't have the scripture here, but we learn eternal reliance on God. Remember what Jesus did when he was praying earnestly, asking, seeking, knocking, blood pouring out of his pores as he sweat, as he was about to drink the wrath of God. But at the end, though, he said, God, if you could take the cup away, I'm asking and I'm seeking and knocking, but nevertheless, Total reverence to you, God. Total reverence. That's one lesson of these prolonged periods of time. Second Corinthians one eight nine. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Let's stop there for a second. Do you think that Paul wasn't asking, seeking, and knocking at this time in his life and in his ministry? Do you not think that Paul was crying out to God? for strength and understanding. And he goes, indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death. That means God gave up on us. But he goes on to say, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you possibly think that Paul wasn't crying out, wasn't asking You don't need a verse of scripture to seek, ask, and knock. You need pain and desperate times to seek, ask, and knock. This humbles our inner pride, as Paul says, in self-reliance. Two lessons so far. Through Christ, it teaches us reverence. Through Paul here, it teaches us about dealing with inner pride and self-reliance as we wait on God who raises the dead. It also purifies the things we ask for. Listen to James chapter 4. Verse 
These times, these prolonged periods of time of seeking, asking, and knocking. Asking, knocking, seeking. Asking, seeking, knocking, whatever you want to call it. Listen to James. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. These people were seeking. They were asking. And they were knocking. But they were not receiving. They should have spent a little time reflecting on the inner, inner attitudes. What's going on here? Let's purify your prayers. Not that God doesn't want to give. God gives us a jealous spirit, he goes on to say. But we're friends of the world. And God has to say, you know, he can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time. God has to purify the asking. At the same time, he reveals where our faith is at times. And he tests our faith by the seeking, asking, not. Listen to James chapter 1. Verses 2 to 6. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to you. But let him ask in faith, not with doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave that's of the sea that's driven tossed to and fro. We can see from this text that God wants to strengthen our faith and to see where our faith is at times. Let me give you an example. God knows what we need and he knows what the process we have to go through to get it. We don't. How many people want to wake up tomorrow and say, God, put me on a potter's wheel. Really, refine me as gold. Make it hard. Make it really hurt, God. You know, give it to me good. Be strong. I want to man up. I want to man up. I want to be the man you want me to be. Nobody does that. Nobody's going to do that. We're not looking for that. We like convenience. We like ease. We take the path of least resistance. And God knows that. And God's like, all right, child. I've got my staff and rod over here. I'm going to get you. Lead you on the right path of righteousness for my name's sake over here. It's going to be a little painful, but I'm going to get you on this road over here. God only knows. And God only knows the best means to the best ends. We don't. That's why he calls it various trials. We have to go through the process of purging and progress. Say it with me. The process of purging and process. We might as well add the process of purging and pro progress, that's painful. Listen, we won't seek unless we're screaming about something. We don't like to change. And the only reason you and I are going to change, I'll stop right there. Has anybody ever seen any kind of real true change in your life, in your spiritual life, and you, you realize you, you went to a, a different level in God? You got a little stronger. You got more faithful. You got more giving got more loving, spent more time in prayer, 
You just knew you were closer to God. Did that come without a challenge in your life? Maybe as young Christians, but as we grow, God challenges us to change. I want you to think about this when it comes to asking, seeking, and knocking. How many wise parents have turned a request of a child into an opportunity for a life lesson? in responsibility and gratitude. How many wise parents really know that there's more behind the request than meets the eye? How many wise parents recognize, you know, this is kind of a selfish request. They don't see it, but I do. This is coming from a, a prideful place. This is coming from a reckless, careless place. This is coming from a, a jealous entitlement type of place. They're asking, but I see the real Lesson that's going on. Every parent knows that. You can't be a fit to be a parent if you can't see between that. Children don't know. They ask. Children love to ask, don't they? Parents got to say, hmm. All right, how am I going to do a jiu-jitsu hold on this and, and turn this into a life lesson, into true responsibility? You want the keys to the car. You want your own car one day. Hmm. How about the bicycle I bought you that you left in the rain, it rusted, uh, you got stolen, you never put air in the tire, you know, it, it, it's, it's no good now. How about the other thing I bought you, that went to waste. You, you want, 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 but you take care of nothing. Now what parents go, oh yeah, here's the keys to the car, go ahead, take Don't we turn everything into a life lesson? Don't we hear more in the request than the child knows about themselves? Do you not think that God sees our asking, seeking, and knocking? Do you think about Peter. Everybody else is going to leave you, but not me. They're all going to leave you. I'm here. I'll hold the fort down. Little did Peter know that he, he didn't know what he was really of. He had no, but Jesus saw the right intention within him. There was something right in there. God has to remove the worthless though. I think there's a lesson to be learned. If parents know how to do this, how much more God is the true discerner of hearts? Remember something. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there also will be your heart. We truly pray for what we value. When we pray with patience and longevity, that's what we value. Remember James chapter 4? They asked, but they asked with wrong motives. And when they didn't get it, what did they do? They took actions and matters into their own hands. And what did they do? They fought, they quarreled, they murdered. They covered it, they had jealousy. God's not answering the prayer, so I've got to take care of it myself. I believe we can see clearly that earnest prayer <clears throat> over a long period of time has many unseen benefits to it. And I believe this is what God really wants us Put some meat on the bones, as I was saying, just so we can understand the process of seeking, asking, and praying. It's not just about, you know, uh, just asking Jesus' name and you'll get everything you want. God's revealing the true nature of our faith and character through these times. Again, James 4 where they were asking, but they weren't reflecting on who and what they really became in life. And they didn't learn that life lesson. They were self-deceived. They truly were. 
Though it's hard at times to find the true nature of our character and faith, our love and our loyalty to God, it's a necessary and very awkward and painful part of our growth that God allows us to go through this process of asking, seeking, and knocking, knowing He's good. Is anybody in this room right now asking, seeking, and knocking? You know God is good. You know you're going through challenging times. But yet, but yet, the answer has not yet come. If you're a Christian, everybody's hands should be halfway up. Unless you're like one day old in the Lord and you're living on the glory cloud. You know? <laughs> but after a while, it's challenging. God has to teach us to live by faith. I've seen this in my own Christian life, and I've seen this over the life of the years of people I minister to. There's a positive and negative. Let me give you a, a, a negative example. More than once, people have come to me and said, I can preach, I can do this, I can do that. And I say, you just sit back and wait. There's no waiting. People don't like to wait. Waiting tests people's character. Waiting tests the quality of of what they're asking for. And when people just want something because they want a name or recognition, they just want it from the flesh because of self-ambition, waiting is not an option. They have to take matters into their own hands. Paul told Timothy, don't lay hands on anybody too rashly, too quickly. Don't be in a hurry. Test everybody. And you wait. And if it's of the flesh, it'll be self-evident. It'll give itself up. Just wait, watch, and listen. But I've seen people say, you know something, I just want to serve God. So I don't even, I don't want to preach, I don't want to do nothing, I just want to be right with God, I just want to serve God. I, that's all I want. And then you watch how God opens up doors. And you watch what God can do. That's a prayer that asking, seeking, knocking, waiting, learning reverence, learning humility, learning not to trust in themselves and self-reliance, but learning to trust in God who raises the dead. You don't get born again and learn how to, God, to trust God who raises the dead. You're born again, then you go through inner conflicts and, and, and tribulations. And you learn the lessons through asking, seeking, and knocking over prolonged periods of time of desperation and frustration. And that is where God reveals a greater, greater understanding of himself. As I said, I was going to look into behind the scenes to try to, what does Jesus mean by this? It has to be more than just a simple tech, uh, uh, a sort of mechanical way of approaching God. There has to be more. And there is more. Here's the main point, and it's a positive point. God gives. Amen? He gives what we need. Period. He gives the goodies to God. And He gives when He wants to give. And He gives how much He wants to give. And our prayers are part of it. Are very much part of it. The anguish we go through is very much part of it. God, the grace of God, and that's what Jesus is teaching us here. He's the giver of all good gifts. Paul teaches us 
He's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. How will he not now give us more of the Holy Spirit? The only thing here, most Christians don't realize what they need is the Holy Spirit in their life. Christians need the good gift of the Spirit. Yeah, we're born again. We're baptized with the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. But does not Paul say, don't be filled with wine. That is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Doesn't Paul on bended knees crying out for the people he loves, crying out to the people he said you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, but does he on bended knee cry out that they will be strengthened in their inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit? To illuminate their minds and hearts to understand with all the saints what is the height, the depth, the breadth, and the width of the love of God that's found in Christ? Of course he did. Holy Spirit educates, educates us in who God is and who Christ is and how wonderful redemption is. How wonderful when we sing the hymns and the tears come down. That's the Holy Spirit teaching us what's really valuable in life. Christ and his blood is precious. That's what's valuable. And that's what we need the Holy Spirit to teach us. Because when our eyes are fixed on the prize of Jesus Christ, everything else fails in comparison. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. God knows what we need. Even when many of our desires are real. But yet God says, If I gave you things right now, you might ruin it. You might be careless. You weren't faithful with one city. How can I give you ten? I gave you a talent and you hit it in the ground. But yet you want this. Learn to be faithful with what we have. Learn to trust God where we are. Again, I'm sort of going on the, the margin over here to try to bring some life into this, this reality of asking, seeking, knocking. That there's more to it than just some sort of simple spiritual equation to get what we want, to get the goodies from God. He doesn't give us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the personal effectual, loving, relational ministry of the person of God himself. When you got God, you don't need the goodness. But understand something, when the Holy Spirit comes, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in a very personal, relational way. He's the helper, the advisor, the strengthener, the encourager, the ally, the advocate, the comforter. He, the person, not an influence. Not like a puppet on a string. He's a person. And how do you know when the Holy Spirit's in your life? You will love Christ. Because he came to point to Christ. That's it. And then one day he said, oh God, I've been on my face for weeks and months and years for family members, for health, for this and that. And, and, and now I understand why you've given me the person of the Holy Spirit. I love Jesus. I can deal with the pain. I can deal with the loss. I can deal with the sleeplessness. I can deal with it now. I have Jesus in my life. I've asked and I seek and I knock and I didn't realize you wanted to give me good gifts. Thank you, Lord. 
the sentence of death within me. And now I know how to rely on you who raises the dead. I know how to entrust my soul to a good and great God. And I had to submit my spirit to you and be led by the spirit, knowing that you will only in all times give me good things, for my best intentions are at your heart at all times. The apostles were going into something called the apostolic age of the church. Jesus said, when I leave you, I must go, because God will send you to counsel." I must go, he says. They went from being led by personally by Jesus one day to being personally led by the Holy Spirit literally 40 days later. They were led by the earthly Jesus. They were led 40 days by the resurrected Jesus. And now they're going to leave all this scene. I don't need too much faith. I just saw Jesus. I don't need to, I just saw him raise the dead. I just saw him resurrected. I just saw him feed 15,000. My, my faith is good. But the day is coming where you're going to have to live by faith. You're going to have to live in the apostolic. You're going to have to live in the, the age of the spirit. The last days are coming upon you. And you're going to have to learn to live by personal faith. Not by what we see, Paul says. By what we don't see. Because the things that we see are temporary. It's the things we don't see are eternal. They're going into a whole new transition in ministry, in life. Paul, it's so powerful that God Paul says, when it comes to Jesus, we no longer know him in the flesh. We have to live by the Spirit. We have to live by faith. We have to learn to live and minister in the last days, the age of the Spirit, by faith, by prayer, by intercession, by asking, seeking, and knocking. Knowing that God gives good gifts. And Paul teaches us. When we are effective in ministry. It is through much tribulation. That we enter into the kingdom of God. When Jesus gives this Lord's prayer. This is not about how do I get things from God. It is amazing. What American preachers have done to, to God. What he's done to the gospel. What they've done to what's important. What's valuable. What's needed. What's necessary. Chasing the goodies. And let me tell you something. God will test hearts. You're looking for the goodies. He just might give them to you. And the more goodies you get, the further you get away from the real Jesus Christ. They had to learn to seek, trust, pray, ask, knock, and expect. The giving of the Spirit to pray and believe is the expression of God's goodness. All right, let me get closed on this. The lesson is twofold. One is personal, one is in ministry. In ministry, there's two points. In ministry, there's personal ministry. I come in here, this is corporate ministry. It's part of personal ministry, but I go to the gym. I have neighbors. I have family. I'm going to spend Thanksgiving with people who are so self-deceived and they think they know God, but they have no idea who God is. They're going to try my patience. They're going to try my spirit. They're going to try my fruit. They're going to try my goodness. And I got to go up there and I got to make sure that I'm asking, seeking, knocking. Because if I don't, I will shut up. I won't talk about Christ. I will sheepishly go away and say, oh, oh, no. I'm a coward by nature. But I love God. 
And when we ask, seek, and knock, we're filled with the Spirit of God. And in the midst of the lion's den, we can say, no, Jesus is Lord and Savior. And if you trust in Him, He'll forgive you. And then this corporate. Might come up here and open up a text of Scripture and expect you just to change. Does John preach and accept the change? Or Brother Stephen or someone else just, just to preach and think it's going to change your heart? Gotta ask, gotta seek, gotta knock, gotta pour ourselves out to God, realizing I'm just a, a frail human being. And if your life is gonna be changed by the preaching of the gospel, it has to be truth, it has to be truth soaked in asking, soaked in seeking, and soaked in knocking, because it won't change anybody's heart. We're all called to preach. I remind you of a text.